Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Waviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And today in episode five, we have the second part of the interview with Alison Armstrong. And we're going to hear a few answers about relationship questions that uh, we've collected from uh, Alison's audience and from our audience. And some of those questions are really personal. I hope you like Alison's answer and see you in the other end. Enjoy. Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. So we want to ask you, are you working already on your next novel? Oh, it depends on how you define it. It's working on me. So, Keys of the Kingdom and The Queen's Code, ah, how do I say it? Both of those books, I knew what I wanted to achieve, and I knew what I wanted to include. And then when I sat down to write Keys of the Kingdom, a movie screen opened up, like right here above my head. That's what it looked like. And a movie started running. And I typed as fast as I could while I watched the characters do what they did. <laughs> so they did things all out of order. They did things I didn't know they were going to do. They had past personalities that I didn't, I didn't think that up. Like, why would an Italian guy from Chicago fancy himself a cowboy? Why? Like, <laughs> right, Mike, Mike. Mike fancies himself a cowboy. Where did that come from? And the table, you know how they keep talking about the table and then the bench? I didn't know what was so special about it. I just was shown that it was special, but they didn't show me the bench. They didn't, I didn't see the bench until the morning that Kimberly saw the bench and the Karen saw the table. Like all these things, I didn't see them until the characters did. And so that's what I mean by <laughs> I check in from time to time, like, Okay, so what's happening with those eight people? And they'll literally show me something. And sometimes they show me something, and I'm like, oh, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not ready for that to happen. And they did that the last time I looked. And so, yeah, sounds really, really freaky. But So it was a download. Exactly. That's exactly the <laughs> word that I use. I, I end up with these floods of information or pictures. And so the thing I am committed to, I promised to put the Queen's Code on audiobook. Mm -hmm. And I'm so particular, <laughs> precise, specific about inflection and how the word that you emphasize in a sentence completely changes the meaning. I won't let anybody else do it for me. Mm -hmm. It's got to have the feel of who those eight people are. So that's why I did Keys of the Kingdom myself, and I promised this year to do The Queen's Code. Boom. Wow, great. Yeah. I think it's really important because people just read less and listen more, and I think it's really important. Please. Well, one of the things that will have to end up happening is, and I don't know when it'll be done, but in all probability, the first translation of The Queen's Code will be into Hebrew. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
I keep what? wanting to give it to my clients and not all of them are fluent in English. That would be okay. great. Awesome. Please do. How to do it. We had a whole way to do it. And then apparently Israelis don't really like eBooks. And so then that means using a traditional publisher. And so now back to the drawing board. And I have several of my graduates in Israel who know the soul of my work that I would trust them with that interpretation. Oh, nice. I have tons more to ask, but I feel like you promised the group, uh, Zib. Do you want to ask some group questions? Uh, we want to try speed questions. I know this is a little bit ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm really good at speed questions. I have a reputation for my... No, I don't, well, but I'll try. <laughs> you definitely, in the courses, you definitely do that. You have an, an email sent to you and you will... Give it a proper response. We'll try. Let's try. Let's uh, try. Okay. Sound bites. Let me see if I can do sound bites. Okay. So we're going to give credit because we, we love the people around us that are also very caring about learning and understanding men and women and communication. So Roger Campbell asks, do children have any unique instinctual needs that are different from adults? So... Basically, what he's trying to research this topic of understanding if the instincts like gatherer and hunter or other instincts that you talk about, are they different when you're looking at kids? What do you say? I discipline myself to, I have been for about a year now, to call them young people. Because you're, if you just start with that they're young people, you're on a better track that a one-year-old is a young man, right? And they're young and we have young men and young women and young people. And so the th same things that trigger big people <laughs> and older people will trigger young people. And one of the biggest ones is that we have a human instinct where we're constantly assessing who has more power, And who has less power and we do it in every situation and it changes because of all the factors that make up power so you may have more knowledge but if i have more time and time is what's required now i have more power can you see that yeah. so we're always assessing are we power more or power less and good people most people good people when they assess that they have more power, their impulse is to take care of other people with their power, to be a provider and a protector. When a good person assesses they have less power, then they're like, okay, so how can I support the person who everybody's counting on? How can I support them? And often we don't ask them how to support them. We just decide how to support them. And then that's not so good. <laughs> Here, I'll help you. And then we mess up the plan, right? But And I specify good people because there are bad people who, when they have more power, they figure out how to use it against other people. And people, when they figure that they have less power, they figure out how to steal power, right? So they, yeah, it's ugly. But everybody's doing power more, power less, power more, power less, and we're negotiating that. Well, so think about being a really little person. And that most of the time, your experience of yourself is that you, are, you have less power than you need. You're less power than you need. You can't reach anything, right? 
You can't reach things. You can't pick up things. You have no money. Someone else decides what you get to eat. You don't get to decide what you get to eat. So the experience of powerlessness is normal, like pervasive as a young person. And they want to have experiences of power more, right? And that's why you see bullying, for example. Bullies come from having experienced total powerlessness, right? Like abuse. And they turn around and they can't get enough of being the power more guy, right? Or gal. Women do it just as much. So if we understand this, then we can go into the domain of empower, right? How do you empower young people? And one of the ways to empower young people is to recognize what they're ready to be accountable for and want to be accountable for and experience being disrespected by their parents or teachers treating them like they can't be counted on for that. You still think I'm going to lie. I've been telling you the truth for two years. (laughs) Seriously, right? Or, I mean, I could give example after example, but it's all about empowering. And one of the most important ways to empower our young people is to teach them how to get what they need from us. They need to know this is how you get the mom you want, right? And one of the things that, I mean, my kids, it was so fun. My kids would be like, mom, can we go to the movies? I don't know. I have to think about it. Can we? Can we? Come on. Can't we? I'll say, well, you can have a no immediately. Yes, it's take time. (laughs) (laughs) And... I mean, it took many times of saying that for them to figure out, yes, this take time. But then they learned that if they stopped badgering me, I want to give them what they want, but they got to leave me alone so I can figure out how, right? I got to figure out the how. They gave me the what. I got to figure out the how. How it takes time. And one of my favorite memories is, is being really cranky and not wanting to go do anything with the kids after I picked them up with school. And they're like, come on, come on, mom, let's do this. Let's do this. And I'm like, no way. (laughs) And then I started thinking about how we could do it. And well, if I just move this and we could go there and oh, we could get groceries at the same time. And the movie's probably at this. And I started thinking about giving them what it was asked for. And I looked in the mirror and my son was sitting in between his two sisters going. (laughs) Wow. Nice. (laughs) Oh, How old was he? My kids are still young. I want to know when that might happen. Let's see. Jeff was probably 10, like 10, 5, and 2 that he did that. But I remember when he was, he was probably, probably about the same age, hearing him outside my door in the morning say, shh, if we wait until it's a 7, she'll be patient. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Wow. Yes, because I taught them that. I want to be patient with you. I need to sleep until that first number is a seven. Nice. Yeah, and it caught... I mean, everybody always, always comment on how confident my kids are. And that's the only thing that I know I had to do with it, is I just kept teaching them how to get what they needed from me, including the kind of person I was, right? Like how to have me stop being cranky. Beautiful. Well, so you're working on programs for kids, like for schools? and Since 2006, we have been training people to teach our material in all kinds of environments. 
we started with therapists and elementary school, high school, our stuff is taught in colleges, parents, in businesses. I mean, every environment you can imagine, we have people who have studied my work and figure out how to express it to that audience. And right. so, yes, we've been teaching our stuff to teachers, administrators, parents, and students. As young as, as seven-year-old boys finding out about objectification and how that's a way that we emasculate people and, and taking a stand. I'm never going to let anybody objectify me again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm passionate about young people. Yeah. I think this just the notion of calling them young people is wonderful. And totally they can learn these things. And mm-hmm. I've been experimenting with my own kids and my older kid, she's 11. And I've explained to her what the single focus is and how when daddy is looking at the screen walking, he yes. just cannot really hear you. And she will know how to overcome this. She will like come to me and say, daddy, can you not look at the screen for a second? Because I want to. <laughs> he will try to walk around my single yes. focus and get herself in my single focus, in my focus. And, <laughs> And, and understanding transition time with waiting for it to happen, all those things, just like you said, teaching them to get what they need from us is an amazing way to teach them later on in life to respect different people, the bigger people too. <laughs> really cool. Well, actually, I think people learn more from watching and experiencing them from what anybody ever says. And I think it's 10 times true for their parents. And so if you're teaching them how to get what they need from you and it's accurate information and it's reliable, then it doesn't take long for them to turn around and teach someone else how to get what they need from them. Yeah. Like, look, when you ask me it that way, I don't want to do it. If you ask me it this way, then I do want to do it. Your choice. <laughs> Yeah, totally. That's, that's why, I, why I asked about programs for kids. You know, so many relationship challenges will not come up if we knew so many things, you know, as uh, if we learned it as kids and grew into relationship with that. Yeah. And also if our parents knew better, but, you know, we're working on that. Can I tell you a funny thing we did with that? Please. Please. So we spent a year last year studying partnership and young people. And one of the things that we distinguish that kills partnerships is manipulation. I said it earlier, right? So when someone thinks they have to get you to do something, they will go into a, a manipulative routine. And we, you're going to laugh at this. What we call it is your shtick. <laughs> and if you can see it, right? Shtick is Yiddish for comedy routine. I don't need to tell you that. If you can see someone attempting to manipulate you as them doing their comedy routine, mm. you can have some compassion for, oh, this person thinks I'm unwilling, right? They, they think they have to manipulate me. Oh, I feel sorry for them. They, they forgot who I am. So we're distinguishing the sticks because you have to know how to stop doing it in order to preserve partnership. And what we did, we had this small group studying this, is What they did, and they were a school psychologist, an elementary school teacher, a homeschooling parent. <laughs> I forget who the other one was. 
And they interviewed young people and asked them about their own manipulative routines and their parents' manipulative routines. Like, so how does your mom manipulate you? Wow, and, that's interesting. Yes. And they could describe exactly. Well, I can always tell because she starts with putting her hand on her hip. <laughs> and they, they like, and then if, when that doesn't work, then she does this. And then if that doesn't work, then she does this. Wow. And then, yes. And then they were asked, okay, and how do you manipulate your mom? Well, <laughs> they could describe exactly how they do it. And basically it's this pinball machine where someone starts the manipulation and then the other one is trying to manipulate them and to stop trying to manipulate them. And, oh, it's a disaster. But if you think of it as a shtick, then you can just crack up because it's normal human behavior that causes misery, like most normal humans. <laughs> nice. So you're going to ask my son about it tomorrow morning. Oh, good. That's going to be an interesting conversation. How old is your son? He's seven. He's seven. Yeah. A three-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, moving to the next one. Okay. I am yeah, so I'm doing a terrible job of sound bites. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This was I'm gonna recommit good. myself. I okay. can do this. Okay. I can do this. I'm bigger than this. Okay. So Amy Potoskin, she asks, is it unrealistic for women to want their emotional needs met by their men or significant other to be recognized, validated, etc. So many women complain about this and I found that a challenge too. So is it unrealistic for women to want their emotional need met? It's unrealistic to expect your emotional needs to be met without playing the warmer, colder, hot game so that the people in your life can win at meeting your emotional needs. Boom. That, Beautiful. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Any other word on top of that will <laughs> not mandatory. But really, I can very much relate to that. Like when I read the question, the first instinct for me is, yes, yes, please, yes. Like I'm hoping that it is possible, yes. but I don't know how. So <laughs> you, you just explained the how so perfectly. Yeah, I'm biting my tongue for all the other things I could say. <laughs> Ask me another question. I okay. wanted that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's another one. You just won lots of points. In okay. The, so here's another one for, for double points. Silvana Luna asks, one question should be, we asked them to present questions for you, so one of them should be, how to let a man support my emotions even if for him it is not a valid a reason for me to feel uh, fear, for example. Hmm. Okay. Boy, I could do hours on this. So as if you know from understanding men that one of the ways to understand the difference between men and women, most women, men most of the time, most women most of the time, is that if what a woman's feelings are to her, a man's opinions are to him. And as a man, you do not need me to agree with your opinion. You don't need me to validate your opinion. You just need me to respect your opinion, that you have a good reason for thinking what you think, that it's a, I mean, we teach women a 
a man's opinion is formed from his values and facts, right? Trusted information. Well, if you can apply that to a woman, that her feelings come from her values and what seems like trusted information, what she thinks happened, her assessment of what you just did and why you did it, which caused her feelings to be hurt, it still seems entirely valid to her. And she can't not think that until she has different information, just like you can't change your opinion until you have new facts, right? You have new facts that would have you update your your opinion. She needs new information in order to be able to feel different about something. Does this make sense? The place where we get in trouble is a woman will expect it to make sense to a man that her feelings are 100% actionable. That's never going to make sense to a man. Men do not trust feelings for very good reasons. (laughs) So one of the things that we teach in a, it's called Critical Missing Pieces. It's at one of our next level courses from where you are, Ziv, is what it takes to become a trusted source. Most men and women are not believable to their partners because they're not congruent and consistent. Right? Like a woman will say, I need more sleep. I can't believe you woke me up. You know, I need sleep. But then every opportunity she has to get more sleep, she doesn't take. Mm -hmm. So she becomes unbelievable that she actually cares about sleep or needs sleep. So why should I support her when she doesn't support herself? That's cool. So if Greg and I have been together for 27 years and he can tell, he can tell the kind of feelings I'm having. where my emotional support is to say, I'm so sorry I hurt your feelings, or I'm really sorry you're going through that. Is there anything I can do? Or my new favorite question, so what kind of partner do you need right now? Oh my gosh, what an amazing partner. So he can tell the difference between that kind of feeling and the kind of feeling I have that is this intuition that has proven correct over and over and over again. Like he's learned to trust that kind of feeling. (laughs) Okay, when you're like that, we should do whatever you're thinking. And everybody's capable of distinguishing this way. If we give them a chance. If I put it into my own words, you're basically saying just like a woman's emotions are, are clear for her and are a valid, trusted source of information. Mm-hmm. And, and just yes. like for a man, he's looking for the facts from reliable sources, but both of them need, in order to change the, your opinion or your feeling, you need to see some action, some new information that will make you either feel differently or think have a different opinion. Yes. With one piece in between, Ziv, and that is you first have to respect what's there. Yeah. Right? That's you got to start with respecting what's already there. And then you might ask, may I offer some information I think you don't have? But you can't just hit somebody with it. Right? You have to, well, I'm sure there's a good reason why you feel that way. Would you like to tell me? <laughs> and then they tell you and what they're telling you is the source of their feelings isn't actually what happened. <laughs> Honey, I wasn't late because I don't love you. I was late because I 
was buying you a present. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's again a lot about taking a positive perspective. Yeah, and the word I would use, which I think is another form of generosity, is, now I want to say your name exactly right, and I can't in this moment, is curiosity. But yeah. curiosity and generosity together, oh my yeah. gosh. I think you could conquer the world. Yeah. Okay, next question. We have... Next question. We have... Oh, I didn't do so good on that one. Okay. No, this is okay. By the way, I think, more on the last one, I think the warm heart game applies there too. If your feelings are not recognized by your partner, there's a chance that he needs some clues that this is important, that this is the situation for you. It's mutual. Yes. Once I was really upset and Greg said, can I do anything? And I said, so I'm going to tell you what happened today. And after I tell you what happened today, what I need you to do is say, poor baby. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And he goes, okay, (laughs) tell me what happened. And then I told him everything that happened. And when I was done, he looked at me and he said, poor baby. And I had forgotten that I told him that. He's such a mind reader. Wow. Yes. And it was bullseye. I mean, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And the whole thing disappeared. Like, oh, my gosh. That was amazing. Oh, you saved me. That was brilliant. He's like, you told me to. (laughs) No, it's beautiful. So many times we hope that our partner will read our minds and needs and they can do it, especially after we teach them. Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, do we have another one? Yes. Should we try one more? Yes, let's do that. So this one is a little bit longer. Let's go and try. So Megan Maureen says, I travel a lot and my boyfriend and I both have busy schedules. I feel like I bent over backwards to make sure we have time together. And he doesn't seem to consider my schedule when making plans. If I just go ahead and make plans on my own, we both suffer because we don't get time together. I'd love to hear any insight Alison has on how to resolve this. Well, if you wanted to do it in partnership, you would decide together that you are in charge of scheduling time to be together because you're the one that's naturally paying attention to it. And the only problem would be assuming that he doesn't care about spending time with you, that that's the reason he doesn't consider your schedule. Instead of he's just single focused and he's solving a problem when he's scheduling. It's one of the biggest things I see with couples is we try to have someone else be accountable for what's important to us. It's a surefire way to end up upset. If you're the one that's it's the most important to, then you be accountable for what initiates it, right? Like the wife sending the text, she became accountable for getting what she needed from her husband by taking the first step to be taken. When we leave the first step to somebody else for something we need, it's just a big loser for everybody. Okay. Do you have time for... Maybe give one, me one more. One last wow. one. Wow, you're so wow. generous. You are 
It's not 2.30 in the morning for me, guys. I still have one more call where what am I going to do? I'm going to answer questions for an hour. So <laughs> I'm all warmed up now. <laughs> in your book, The Amazing Development of Men, in your audio book, you describe this period of time where men transition from being a prince into a king and they go through the tunnel. And mm-hmm. this is a topic that can be discussed in length. So what I'm only asking you is actually what is the latest and greatest of the news in your world in parks about women that go into the tunnel? What can make that happen? What is your experience? Okay. So my experience is from me having been through the tunnel from being with one of my best friends as she went through the tunnel and from someone who works for me now is currently in the tunnel. And what we didn't know all those years ago is it appears that to the degree that a woman is in hunting mode, right? So her significant part of her life is about accomplishment or legacy or creating or building, right? That she may go through the same process that Amanda's. And what we've been able to articulate so far is, this is perfect. So, <laughs> Shekhar, the pole, uh-huh. right? So imagine if you were having to make a decision and so you needed to go to that place where you know exactly who you are mm-hmm. and the place was gone. Wow. This is gone. What? Wait a second. <laughs> That's very what, scary. Yeah, it's just gone. And so my friend described it. She says, she, she says, I'm an angry woman banging around in the dark. And when I, when I told that to my staff person today, she just said, yeah, damn right. And I didn't know I was in the tunnel until I came out and heard myself talking like a king. I heard myself say, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> and I said it several times in one week until I finally went, why am I saying that? That's what King said. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that the previous six months of my life, <laughs> there was a reason why they, they were most miserable <laughs> six months of my life. And I, that I just felt lost. And that's as far as we really know so far, that what you're used to basing your decisions on is gone. It moved out. <laughs> it disappeared. And there's nothing to ground yourself in. And the good news is <laughs> that it shows back up. Who you are shows back up. And what my friend articulated so well is that she said when a new place in herself showed up, the old place showed up at the same time and was like trying to pull her back to who she was before. And she had to keep going towards the new sense of herself that she had discovered and keep letting go of all the should, all the things she should do and should care about and should be that the old place was trying to pull her back into. So it Mm. took courage, took courage for her to keep going forward and let go of so many expectations that people had of her, including me. Like she had to stop being countable for something that I'd counted on her for years and say, I can't do it anymore. 
Mm. She was terrified that I'd be upset. And I was ecstatic that she was honoring herself. Like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. So it's like a dark night of the soul. Yes. Period. Yes. <laughs> yes. That you come out stronger and deeper and more connected yeah. to yourself. Yeah. It's interesting. You were asking about the next book. I mean, Keys of the Kingdom, Mike was going through the tunnel. Maybe the next book, <laughs> one of the women will get to go through the tunnel. Yeah. And that'd be interesting. I think it's important to, if we do the full circle and go back to, you know, the topic of our season with the right to feel, women has the right to hunt and women has the right to go into the tunnel. This is not a territory that is only for men. Unfortunately, I, I might say, Alison Armstrong, this has been an amazing experience to finally meet you here in this meeting tool and to interview you to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Your profound knowledge is wonderful and inspiring and it just supports so many people's lives. So thank you for being here for us and for so many people all over the world. Yeah, really super grateful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. This was so much fun, you guys. I'm all wound up. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you're not too wound up and you can sleep well. Probably it will take some time. Yeah, we'll need to analyze a few things. But that's just wonderful. And obviously, I will put a link so people, if they want to enjoy the process of digging deeper and learning with you and with Pax. We'll put a link on the show notes, guys, for the very same program that I was mentioning and going through myself as a student and mm -hmm. for all the other things that are there. And definitely keep us in the loop when the Queen's Code's audio version is coming up soon. We would definitely want to shout out about that. Thank you, Alison Armstrong. And see you guys next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. Bye. Bye. Wow. Uh, it was deep again. And yeah. this is really amazing how Alison can find uh, so much uh, deepness in, in every question and find a way to uh, highlight a way to look into the situation that is a little bit different. Just the overall arcing question of her work, which is what if no one is misbehaving, is something that I think people should have like printed on, on a big piece of paper and hang on every office. Like seriously, uh, we all need to remember to ask ourselves, what if no one is misbehaving? What was your number one take from today? I loved how she talked about being accountable for what's important for me, for you, for the person who's asking that, you know, but like say, I want to ask what, what if my partner isn't interested in something that's important to me and her answer was so deep and, and wise and about let's be accountable for our own needs. You know, no, let's not expect our partners to be accountable for our needs. So that doesn't mean putting away our needs. It does mean that we take responsibility about them and we express them and we find a way to get them met, find a way that maybe even our partner will want to help us with that. But 
it's our responsibility, our accountability. I love it. And in other uh, places where Alison talks, uh, like on her online courses and uh, interviews, she also mentioned this idea that a queen and a king honor themselves first. Honor themselves first, meaning, you know, being accountable for their needs. And I love how we talked today about the, this idea that you go into a tunnel uh, as a hunter, you know, men and women, uh, after many years in the same career life, you go into this mode where you ask yourself a lot of questions. Where am I going? What do I want to do with my life? What's my gift to the world? And so on. And I really feel such a huge relief personally to be at the other side of the tunnel, to be able to look into myself and know what, what I'm interested in. And just the, the knowledge of knowing that men and women, wherever they are as hunters, eventually go into this moment of, of deep thinking. Just knowing that I'm not alone in this helps me and uh, makes me feel grateful for Alison for sharing her knowledge about the, that topic. Beautiful. So uh, we have prepared this really interesting PDF about men and women and the differentiation between how men and women experience feelings most of the time. And we have put that document in the generousmarriage.com website. So if you go to generousmarriage.com, you will see on episode five, season two, episode five, you'll see a big button to download this PDF for free. And we welcome you to do so. If you haven't done that yet, it's an opportunity to dig deeper and also to be on our email list where we will send you information about free webinars and additional opportunities to make your relationship a more generous one. Please feel generous to share it with others. Please, yeah. It's just generous to share it with others. If you find the information, they're valuable, and I think it's very valuable, and a lot of men and women can benefit from it, please share it. Please. Uh, thank you guys for listening for yet another episode of the Generous Marriage Podcast. And next week in the Generous Marriage Podcast, we're going to hear an interview with Cheryl Fraser. She wrote a book that is going to blow your mind when you learn about the connection between Buddhism and Sex. See you next week on the Generous Magic Podcast. Bye. See you next week.